Was that fun? I don't know how to follow that. Hey, could you keep the smoke going? Maybe that would actually uh, help a little bit. Oh, my goodness. Man, and those videos. You know, I, I believe in the last few years, I've really come to believe that using your imagination in prayer is, is important. I really, I really do. That What you visualize and what you picture and how you picture God. But I don't think I'm going to follow Ricky Bobby's advice and picture the little baby Jesus with the gold fleece diaper. I don't think, I don't think that's going to help my prayer life. Uh, but I am intrigued by Homer Simpson's approach. I never thought about, you know how you're asking God for direction and you say, could you give me a sign? What if you just decided to do what you think you want to do and then say, give me a sign if you don't want me to do it, and then just act real quickly before God has a chance to act on that. So, But the reality is that um, I'm so happy to be here, first of all. I felt all week long, seriously, like I was 10 years old and it was Christmas Eve because uh, Dave and Susie and the team left almost five years ago. And uh, I haven't been out here yet, and I've never actually been to Salt Lake City. So I was just so excited to come. I'm skiing tomorrow up at uh, Sunburn, and excited just to be here. Uh, but as Dave said, uh, prayer, people in America talk about prayer a lot. Uh, I think prayer, of, of all the things we're looking at, and of course every week, probably you'll say the same thing next week, Dave, when you talk about the Bible. But, but if you want to get God into your life, uh, you cannot do it without really figuring out what this prayer thing is all about. And so I was excited just to come and share my heart. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about who I am. Um, I've been trying to f- know Jesus and follow Jesus most of my life, and I feel like I still have a long ways to go. And I've been trying to figure out this prayer thing. And Dave, I don't know, maybe you oversold it, because uh, like prayer is critical in my life, and I do it, but I think I still have so much to learn about uh, how we can know God through prayer and what prayer is really all about. But when they survey Americans, they do find three things consistently. Number one, Almost every American, I think it's like 90%, says that they believe in prayer. No matter what their spiritual background is, and probably some of you today are here because you're following Jesus, and some of you are exploring Jesus, and maybe some of you don't believe anything yet, but you're here. Um, but, but probably most of you believe in prayer. The second thing they find is they, those people who say they believe in prayer also say, most of them, prayer is really important. But then the third thing, which is so intriguing, is they say, how often do you pray? And the most common answer is, not as much as I should. So here you got this belief in prayer and a belief that it's important, and then people who basically don't pray very much. And so as I thought about that, I thought, well, maybe given the fact that I have 30 minutes, rather than actually talking to you about prayer, I should just sit down and let you pray for 30 minutes. Now, if I did that, uh, some of you would say, oh, great, because I only got two or three hours this morning and I need 30 more minutes. There's probably one person in the room that that's, you're wired that way and you pray all the time. Some of you would say, great, because I didn't get to bed early enough last night and I could use 30 minutes of sleep. And that's what happens when I try to pray anyhow most of the time as I fall asleep. For me, sleep is not the problem. Here's what's happened most of my life when I pray. It goes something like this. I get up in the morning and I say, oh, God, thank you for uh, the rest last night. And, uh, man, I just have so much to do today, and I just need your help. Um, some really important meetings and stuff to do. I don't know how I'm going to get it all done. Oh, man, I was supposed to change the oil in the car yesterday, and I forgot to do that. <laughs> Maybe I could squeeze it in between. No, because I can't, because it, oh, I think he was, he went to the hospital yesterday. Oh, I bet you I missed it. I better go check on my computer, get that. And next thing you know, I'm off working. And then maybe I come back again and I start again, and it's just this kind of lack of concentration where 30 minutes can go by, and I think I actually engage with God for about a minute and a half of that time. So I don't know where you are, where you are as, as you wrestle and struggle with prayer, but what if instead of thinking about prayer in that way, there was a different paradigm, a different way of understanding 
what prayer really is. Because we all bring certain assumptions to what prayer is. We all have had successes and failures as we've talked about praying or tried to pray. But what if, what if prayer actually looked real different than what we've grown up or experienced through the years of our lives? What if prayer really was mainly about a relationship? What if prayer really was about an amazing way to connect with God? Maybe we're thinking about prayer in entirely the wrong way. And I know in my life, as I look through years of my life, that I've been um, really, I'd be one of those people that always believed it was important and seems like I never got around to actually praying. Now, I remember years ago, and his story means a lot more to me now, but I heard a man uh, talk about, and I don't know if it was a real story or if he was just using this as an illustration, but he said, imagine a father who had a, a grown son or daughter, and in this case we'll make it a son, who was in his early 20s and really struggling with life and making some wrong decisions and, and just trying to figure out life and he's trying to find out who he was and he really wasn't open to much input from his dad. But one day the son calls the dad and says, Dad, um, man, I think I need your help. And I'm just, I just got a lot of confusion in my life and I, I just don't know what to do next and would you be willing to meet with me? Now, what do you think that dad would feel in that moment? And those of you that are parents, I, at the time I heard this, my kids were all young. I have a 20-year-old right now. So I'm, I'm thinking about this story a little differently. So he said, imagine this scenario then. So they agree to meet in, their, in the, a coffee shop, and there's a corner table. And he says, I'll meet you in that corner table tomorrow morning, 6.30. And so the dad gets there, and he gets there early. And he's really excited. He didn't sleep very well because he so wants to be with his son. And he so wants to help him and impart whatever wisdom he can. And so he, he doesn't sleep very well. He gets there early. He's got a longing in his heart to spend time with his son and to pour into him. And so he gets there at 6.15, and he gets his cup of coffee, and, and 6.30 comes, and his son's not there. Well, the son's always late, 6.35, 6.40. And then finally the door opens, and his son walks in. Now, if you can picture that, picture the face of the father. What, is, what do you see there? Anticipation, excitement, love, desire. And the son walks across and they sit down and they share some time in the morning. Now, if, that, if that's what prayer is, I think about that story and I think about how many times God has been sitting at that corner table waiting for me with anticipation because he loves me he knows my struggles in life. He sees my failures. He sees the questions, the areas where I need wisdom, where I need to be filled up. And, and then I, do, I never come through the door because I'm so busy. I got so much to do. And God's not mad at me. I, it just, I miss out. What if every day, instead of th talking about this thing called prayer or thinking about prayer, we imagined that God sits at the corner table of your favorite coffee shop because he longs be with you. In fact, here's the, here's the one thing I want to say today, and then I'm just going to tell stories and look at some scripture to illustrate this. Here's what I believe about prayer. I believe that prayer is about a God who longs to be with you and longs to communicate with you. That's what prayer is. And God gets into your life when you do that. God has a longing to spend time with us, and he knows how busy we are. But he longs to spend time with us, and when he spends time with us, he longs to communicate with us. And Dave said it. It's about a relationship. You know, we say that a lot. I, by the way, I saw this cool T-shirt. Uh, a friend had it, and he didn't know where he got it. Someone gave it to him. 
But uh, the T-shirt said, it's against my relationship to have a religion. Isn't that cool? If any of you has one of those and you want to give it to me, I'd love to wear that shirt. It's against my religion to have a relationship. And so God, think about this now. Just for the next 21 minutes, imagine that, that God longs to be with you. Just like that father with his eyes trained on the door, wanting his son, his daughter to come through the door to spend time with him. And then when you're together, he longs to pour into you. That's what I want to talk to you about today. The longing of God for each of us. And prayer is the avenue where that happens, where we get that. Let's talk about the longing to be with us. Yeah, I don't know. Um, if you think about marriage, how many of you are married? Okay. All of you have some close relationships, right? Even if you're not married, hopefully. If not, I'll be your friend. Just see me after the service, okay? <laughs> but think about, um, sometimes we talk about prayer as one of the spiritual disciplines. I gave up years ago using that word. I don't like to talk about prayer as a discipline. And here's why. If prayer is spending time with a God who longs to be with you, then if it's only a discipline, often discipline is the thing you do that you really don't want to do, but you know you should because it's good for you, right? Like I exercise, but I really don't like it. But I do it out of discipline because I know it's good for me. So I don't want to hear God saying, well, I'll discipline myself to spend time with you. And think about marriage. Think about it. My wife's not here in this service. She's going to come to the last service. She says I'm always better by the third one, so she's just going to wait. Um, but imagine um, if instead I'm talking about marriage today. Because really, our relationship with God is a lot like a marriage. It's a close, intimate relationship. So if instead I was talking about marriage, and after I was done, uh, one of you came up and said, well, let me ask you, Craig, how important is you to spend time with Chris? And I didn't know Chris was on the other side of that wall and listening. And I said, well, you know, I think it's so important that I really discipline myself to be with her. You know, I feel this sense of responsibility. It's my duty to be with her. So I just, you know, first thing, I just discipline myself because I know it's the right thing to do to be with her. So I just encourage you, if you're married, if you have a close relationship, you know, even if you don't want to be with them, discipline yourself to be with them because you can't have a relationship unless you do. And then you leave, and then I walk around the corner, and my wife's standing there. You think we're going to have a good ride home? She's going to say, you don't want to be with me? See, at the heart of this has to be desire. And I would say, if you struggle with prayer, ask God to begin to grow that desire. And I think a lot of it is because when we pray, uh, when we do spend time with him, often we feel nothing's happening, and so it's hard to sustain that. I think discipline, often we have to do that initially, but I'm telling you, when you're with God, something should be happening that over time, discipline is replaced with desire. There's a desire to be with him because it's about relationship. Um, there's a verse in John where uh, Jesus used the illustration, the analogy of a sheep and a shepherd. I want you to see this. It's up on the screen. In John chapter 10, Jesus said, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. That's prayer. Prayer is, is, is being with a God who longs to be with you and learning to recognize his voice because he wants to be with you, recognizing his voice. Uh, I just got back last week. I've made about a dozen trips to India, um, and it's a crazy place. But one of the crazy things are all the animals that you share the roads with. And one of my first trips there, uh, the, the man from India that I was going to visit, um, pointed out something that I, I, I never noticed. Of course, I never, we don't have goats and sheep on our roads back where I live. Do you guys have them out here in Salt Lake City? I haven't seen any yet. Um, but he pointed out, he, we went by a, a herd of goats and then a herd of sheep. And both had shepherds leading them. But he pointed out a difference that I hadn't noticed. For the goats, the shepherd, the goat herder, was behind the goats with a stick and was constantly swatting them into place and yelling at them just beating them and screaming because and, goats, I guess, are just belligerent and they like to wander off. And so he had to work really hard and he's behind them, yelling at them. 
You know, a lot of you grew up with thinking about God in that way. He's kind of walking behind your life, watching what you're doing. He's got a big stick. He's really just to smack you. Okay, that's God. We came by the sheep. It was exactly what Jesus said in John 10. I, my friend pointed out, look where the shepherd is. He's out in front. And he's walking down the road, and there had to be 200 sheep, and big ones and little teeny ones. And they're all walking. And this is the most amazing thing. Every now and then, one would wander off a little bit because we were in a car behind and we were moving really slow. They weren't getting out of the way, so we had a long time to watch this. And, and the sheep would wander off a little bit. And it's almost like the shepherd had eyes in the back of his head. I don't know how he did it, but he just kind of knew. And he had a staff, and he'd turn around, and he'd say something. It was in Telugu. I didn't know the word, but he'd say something. I could hardly hear. I'm hanging out the window, and he's saying something and kind of tapping the staff. And that sheep would, boo, lock eyes with the shepherd, get back in line, and follow him. Amazing contrast. That's what Jesus, living in, in a day where they had sheep and goats in their roads, that's, that's the picture he was using. It kind of escapes us today. But they got it. Oh, you mean that's what God is like? He wants to be out in front leading us. But if it's going to work, we have to get to know his voice, to recognize his voice. And I think what happens in prayer, for me, most of my life, uh, author Tony Campolo, he had a funny way of putting it. He said, for a lot of people, prayer is this. You pick up the phone, you dial God, you do all the talking, and before you can say anything, you hang up on him. And so you never understand that prayer is a relationship, and it's two-way, and, and God, it's a God who communicates with us. And I tell you something, when you begin, when I began to hear, really hear the voice of God, my desire to be with him began to grow. It's not a discipline. In fact, you get to the point where you think, I don't know how, how I could live without him because I need help. I need a lot of help in life. And that's the second part of that statement. Prayer is about a God who longs to be with us and he longs to communicate with us, to hear the voice of God. Here's one of the promises that Jesus made before he left this earth, before his crucifixion. He said in John chapter 16, he, he made an incredible promise to us. He said that it was better if he left us. It was actually better if he left us if he went away, because he said, if I don't go, if I don't leave you, then the counselor won't come. But if I go, I will send him to you. It's the Holy Spirit he's talking about, the Spirit of truth. He will do what? He will guide you into all truth. Now, you don't have to raise your hand, but can any of you right now think about an area of your life, a relationship, a financial problem, a job, a decision, where you really could use some guidance? I bet you can. In fact, I bet you could make a long list Look at this promise. He will guide you into all truth. Prayer is about learning to recognize the voice of the shepherd because he has things to say to you and to me. And he wants to guide us into little things and big things. I would say that the biggest learning for me the last several years has been that God, that prayer is not something you do just in the morning or evening or when you get alone for 10 minutes or for a half hour. Or some of you spiritual saints, you know, the two-hour prayer time. That's really important. But prayer is really an ongoing conversation. Because, again, if you think about this verse, you think about the words of this, he's going to send the Holy Spirit who's going to be in you. So you're not calling long distance when you're talking to God. And when you get up and leave that table in the coffee shop and you go to your jobs or you go wherever you, to school, whatever you do, guess what? He's with you. And so the, the prayer is meant to be an ongoing, all-the-time dialogue. I don't need prayer just when I'm in, my, in that coffee shop or in my den in the morning. I don't need guidance just then. I need it all day long when things happen to me throughout the day, and that's what he promises. I want to just illustrate this. 
Here's a little example. Uh, a number of years ago, and I think actually this might have been, Dave, just about the time you were leaving, um, and I shared this story with you. You probably don't remember it, but um, I tend to be, um, I talk fast, I walk fast, I live life fast. I think it's going to work well in Manhattan because that's what life is like there. Um, and so I think God is always trying to say things to me, and, and I, I'm not listening, I'm not tuned in, but I've been trying to learn to live as that shepherd. So no matter what I'm doing, I'm a sheep following Jesus. He's my shepherd, and he, he loves me, and he longs to be with me, and he longs to communicate to me. So one day, I'm, I'm leaving the library where I've been studying for a message, and, and the message was actually on listening to God. That's the irony. And I waited to the last minute, like I always do, and I got to get somewhere quick. So I grabbed my, my bag and my, with my computer, my laptop, and I, I'm you know, kind of sprinting across the parking lot to get to my car. And as I'm getting there, I see this old man who's bent over, and he's walking like this. And as I blow by him, I hear the voice of the shepherd say, go help him. Now, I knew it had to be the shepherd's voice because I, it never crossed my mind because I got to be somewhere. I got an agenda. And it was so clear. And it was in a time when I was trying to learn how to listen to God. And I, I knew it was his voice. So it's like I, I argued for a minute as I kept running. And it was like, again, go help him. And so I turned around. I walked back to the man in by that time, he'd gone from here to here because he was walking like this. And so I came up and I said, excuse me, sir, do you need some help? And he, and he spoke in a very broken accent. He was, I think, Eastern European. And, and when he looked at me, his face was all wrinkled and he looked extremely worried. And he said, I can't find my car. And, and I'm thinking, this is a huge parking lot. I'm thinking, you probably, did you start a week ago? Because like, you could, you know, about one day per row. And so I said, what kind of car do you have? He said, a blue Impala. I said, okay, I'll, I'll help you. Blue Impala. Okay, so I go running up and down the rows, and I get through the whole parking lot, and there's no Blue Impala anywhere. So I come back, and by then, he was all the way to here, still walking, still looking. And I said, sir, there's no Blue Impala. Are you sure? And I said, he said, yeah. I said, my wife's in the car. And I said, well, I, I know then it's not here because there was no car with a person in it. Do you think she maybe went somewhere? <laughs> Did you guys have a fight? You know what? He said, she doesn't drive. So I'm like, okay, God, you said stop and help. I did what I can. I don't know what to do. It's not here. So I, I stood there for just a moment, and then I heard the voice of the shepherd again. Just, to, just this prompting, not audible, but that voice because the Holy Spirit lives within us. If you're following Jesus, you have that promise. And he said, the voice said, he's in the wrong parking lot. And this library, this it was a city building, had two huge parking lots on either side of the building. And so I said, okay, I know where your car is. And I, sa I said, come with me. And my car was still a few aisles away. I wanted to pick him up and carry him because he, he moved so slow, but I thought that'd be inappropriate. So, so we kind of shuffled over to my car. He got in the car. I drove him around to the other side, and we got into the first aisle, and there was a blue Impala, and he saw it right away, and the guy just burst into tears. And he grabs my hand, and he starts saying, thank God, thank God, thank God. And uh, she was there, and I, you know, he could have been ours, seriously. And she was probably worried, and so he got out and got in the car. And as I was driving away, I thought, and, and I, you know, I'm telling you a story, a success story. I think I've missed these promptings a thousand times. But here's what I thought. I thought, how amazing is God, who's got to deal with the whole universe, right? Everything that's going on today. And he hears the cry of one old man who's confused and lost. And God says, I, I listen to prayer, I answer. But it's only going to work if Craig's listening to me. Because I can use Craig to get him over there. See, it's a little thing. It's not a life-changing, earth-changing thing. But what if it's true that we, we, we have a God who is a communicating God who communicates all the time if we could learn to hear his voice? Listen to my voice and follow me.
a God who communicates. What about a big thing? Well, Dave mentioned New York City. I, I've never had a bigger thing in my life. And, and for a year, uh, God was saying this to Chris and me. And um, Chris was hearing it, and I was doing this. Because sometimes it's convenient not to hear God. And uh, I was thinking, I, I love where I live, and I love what I'm doing. And um, I can't imagine New York City. But after a while, you know, God was persistent, and, and we came to the point where we really believe God, we both believe God was calling us to move to Manhattan and plant a new church in New York City. So now there's a thousand decisions you have to make. And I go back to that verse, and, and it says that I'm giving you the spirit of truth. He will guide you. And so we've really needed guidance. And we've begun to practice um, a, a time of prayer where we just really sit and listen with God. I mean, I literally get out a piece of paper and a pen, and I say, God, I'm desperate to hear from you. Help me. So it's what we call listening prayer. There's a little book called God Guides where this lady explains how she discovered this and how it really helped her. So we began to do listening prayer. And during this time, um, I, I read a verse that I'd read many times. I want you to see it because this is what has given me so much confidence. And, and I just want to communicate to you, I believe that God wants to do the same thing in each of our lives. But in the, in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus is teaching on prayer, Here's what he says about prayer. And he, and he uses the analogy of a father and a son or a parent and a child to talk about how he will answer prayer. In Matthew chapter 7, he says, Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If you then... Though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven good, give good gifts to those who ask him? So those of you that are parents again, or how many of you, if you're not parents, you once were a child? Okay, I just want to make sure everybody's included in this illustration, okay? Think about a parent who would know what is good for their child and then just say, I'm going to withhold it. I'm going I'm to let you stumble. I'm going to let you misstep here. I'm not going to give you what you need. The promise Jesus gives is he said, think about how parents, and when he says they're evil, he means we're imperfect. We, you know, we make mistakes. We're not perfect parents. But generally, a parent, out of the goodness of their heart, will give what their kids need. So he says, think about yourself now as a child with a heavenly father who's going to give you what you need. And so come and ask. Ask me. But don't hang up. Don't ask and hang up. Stay and listen. Learn to recognize my voice. Listen to the wisdom and help that I can give you. So one of the big decisions we had to make is in Manhattan's a pretty diverse community itself. 1.8 million people living in that little strip of land called Manhattan. So we were asking God, where do, you, where do you want us to go in Manhattan? What Can we target an area? And we were getting right up to the point where we were going to make the announcement to our church about the plant. We felt like we needed to know. So my wife and I were on our, our 23rd, oh, I better get this right by the last service. I think it's 22nd anniversary. <laughs> Don't anybody tell her. I said it wrong. 22nd anniversary, and we usually take a day away just to sit and talk about our relationship and talk about God. And so at the end of the day, Chris, we're sitting on these beach chairs in Lake Huron up in Michigan, beautiful summer day in July. And uh, Chris said, why don't we do listening prayer right now and ask God to show us where? Because in a week, we have to announce it. So we sat there, and after about 15 minutes, just silently listening to God, trying to hear the voice of the shepherd, believing that he longs to be with us and longs to communicate um, Chris said to me, Craig, did you hear anything? And that woke me up. I was sound asleep. So sometimes that how, honestly, just trying to be authentic, that's how it works for me. Uh, she said, um, I heard God say to me, Gramercy Park. 
Do you know where that is? I said, you know, of all the places in Manhattan, I, I've heard the name. I have no idea where it is. So she said, well, let's, let's pray some more. She really felt like God was saying Gramercy Park. So we went home that night, and uh, she went to bed, and I stayed on the Internet, and I researched Gramercy Park. I printed off five pages all about Gramercy Park, and the next morning, she, uh, Chris and I were driving to another city to meet a man that her brother knew who had been in New York 30 years, still was living there, was doing work there, um, not really a pastor, but work, Christian work in the city. And never met the man. His name was B.J. Weber. So we went there. On the way there, Chris is reading about Gramercy Park. We pulled into the parking spot by Starbucks, and I said, out loud, I said, God, you know how I work? Chris heard Gramercy Park. I didn't hear anything. I need you to confirm this. I know you want to lead us to truth. You've promised that, so just confirm it. So we go in. We sit down in Starbucks. Um, her brother gets out a map and says to BJ, show us, now show us where you're working in New York City, where you've been for the last 30 years, and guess where he pointed? Gramercy Park. So I look at my wife, and, and then I'm, thinking to God, I'm saying to God, well, that's kind of a cool coincidence, but that's not enough yet for me. <laughs> Because um, I'm kind of skeptical about these kind of things, to be honest with you, and I'm still learning, as I said. So, so we're listening to him. Well, then, about 10 minutes in the conversation, or maybe longer, he says, and we hadn't told him yet, we were feeling called since yesterday to Gramercy. He says, you know, about a year ago, a group of, uh, another, a group of guys with me decided to take this one old historic chapel and renovate it because we believe God is telling us that a group's going to come in and plant a church in Gramercy Park. That's enough. I, I got it now. Is it possible that that is really who God is? A God who wants to be so involved in the detail of our lives that whether we're walking to the, li the library parking lot, if we're listening, he has something to say to us, or we're wrestling with a major life decision, that he's a God who longs to be with us and longs to communicate with us. What are the issues in your life you're wrestling with? The last thing, this has become, over time, it's probably because I'm getting older, as I get older, that I actually believe, though, that there's something that's more important than any of those things that happens when we pray. And I want to read just a real brief portion from um, a book by Philip Yancey, and he's actually talking about Henry Nouwen, who is, who is a, a Catholic um, theologian and, and professor and a, a real follower of Jesus. And he, um, near the end of his life, um, wrote this, said this about prayer. I want you to hear this. Yancey writes, toward the end of his life, Henry Nouwen said that prayer had become for him primarily a time of listening for the blessing. The real work of prayer, he said, is to become silent and listen to the voice that says good things about me. That may sound self-indulgent, he admitted, but not if it meant seeing himself as the beloved a person in whom God had chosen to dwell. The more he listened to that voice, the less likely he was to judge his worth by how others responded to him or how much he achieved. He prayed for God's inner presence to express itself in his daily life as he ate and drank and talked and loved and played and worked. He sought the radical freedom of an identity anchored in a place beyond all human praise and blame. I think the most important thing that happens in prayer and this is really about getting God into our lives, is that God has things to say to us about his love. I mean, think about how, how harsh the world can be. You know, my kids have come home from school, and they've had, a, they've had a horrible day where they've been teased, they've been made fun of, they've been put down, they've been ridiculed, they've been labeled. And every time I wanted the home to be a place where when they came home, they could sit on the couch with Dad. You know, my daughter could sit on my lap, and she could talk about how 
horrific her day was and what people said about her in that she knew there was a father who would wrap his arms around her and even knowing she's not perfect and that she's made mistakes that she's not going to get a label from me. She's going to get arms of love. She's going to get the blessing because I adore her and I would do anything for her. That's the God that is revealed in Jesus Christ, a God who would and has done anything for you. And in that time together in prayer, as we learn to listen to the voice of God, I think Henry Nowen is right. I think before we even go through our list and tell God all the concerns and we, what we need help with is that we ought to sit quietly and just let God love us. For some of you, that may, you know, I, I'm, I'm a pretty objective thinker. That's why I think it's taken so long in my life to figure this out. But if it is a relationship and God did love us and he expressed his love in the sacrifice of Jesus, then don't you think when we're, we're with him, he, he wants to say good things about us? Yeah, he sees my sin, my failure, my junk, and I need to be honest with him about that and be authentic. But I think what he wants to do is pour into my life his love. I want you to see this, this verse in Ephesians. This has become really the prayer of my life. I pray it for myself. I pray it for my children, for my wife, for my friends. Um, and this is what Paul prayed for in, in the city of Ephesus where a new church had started. This, he wanted them to know, when I pray for you, this is what I pray. And it's exactly what I think Henry Nouwen was talking about. In Ephesians 3, he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he would strengthen you with power in his spirit, in your inner being, so that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray now that you, being rooted and grounded in love, would have the power together with all the saints to do what? To do great things for God? To accomplish great things? He was praying that they would have power to do what? To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you would be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. When you get on your knees or sit on your bed or sit in your favorite seat to be with God in prayer, this is where I think we should start. God wants you to know his love in a way that goes beyond information. He wants you to feel loved by him. And so as we go into these next moments and, and as we have an opportunity to respond to God, here's, what, here's the assignment I'd like to give to you. For the rest of our time together, I'd like you to picture your, your favorite coffee shop or your favorite quiet place. Maybe it's not a coffee shop. Maybe it's in, in your living room in the early morning. But I want you to picture the face of Jesus sitting there and that you walk in the room and your eyes meet. But he's not a goat herder. He's a shepherd. He loves you. He wants to pour into you. He wants to pour your love into you. He wants to pour your, his wisdom into you. He is so glad to have this 10 minutes or this 30 minutes or this hour together. And when that time is done and you get up and leave, he says, how about if I go with you? Because that's prayer. It's those moments alone and it's all day long. Let's pray. Father, thank you for invitation to relationship. And there's so much, honestly, if we're honest, God, that works against us because we can't see you and we can't hear your voice audibly most of the time. And in relationships where we see and we hear, we struggle to be close and intimate. And so as Paul prayed, we pray the same thing. We need this to be a work of your spirit, a work of power in our lives that would give us this capacity to have hearts that are open to you, to hear your love, to know your love, to respond to your love. We need your help, God. Come to us even in these moments together. In your name, amen.
I would really encourage you, especially in, in this song, as you hear the word, see the words on the screen, to let those words be your words. A God who longs to be with us. And uh, during the song, we're going to receive our offering. And if you're a guest today um, to K2, we are so glad you're here. We want you to know that this financial moment is not for you. Please be our guest. Um, but for those that this is your home, thank you for your partnership as we work to spread the reality of the love of Jesus to the world.